Hi, I'm Dom Lewis, and we're here to talk about Man in the High Castle and other musical stuff and whatever comes up, I guess. Dom, thank you so much for uh, inviting me here to your studio. Um, I've been, you know, a huge fan of your music, so it's great to sit one on one to talk. So oh, thanks. it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing all this. Of course. So let's uh, start from the beginning. Like I want to go all the way back to the beginning because uh, your your accent. It's uh, <laughs> is, it, is it Tennessee, Kentucky? I don't know. <laughs> so going back to from England. Uh, mm -hmm. So describe your childhood growing up and kind of what were the I guess the ingredients that kind of sparked something musically in your in your life. Well, both my parents are musicians. Uh -huh. um, oh, that helps. <laughs> yeah, that was a big thing. Um, my mum's a singer. My dad's a cellist. Okay. Um, and I think I was three, three when I started cello. I wanted to be just like dad. Right. Um, and my sister's also very musical. So my household was always filled with music, whether mm -hmm. it was mum singing opera or dad practicing or the quartet would rehearse. My dad was in a very famous quartet, the Medici String Quartet. Um, so they would rehearse at the house. Um, and then, you know, the stereo was always on. Yeah. So right from the very beginning, Just it was all music, really. <laughs> and I mean, do you, were you playing in bands? Did you focus more on composition or uh, kind of more instrumental music or was it different styles that kind of led you to that? It was very much cello up until, I don't know, I think I started singing around seven or eight, but sort of, I was a boy soprano. Uh -huh. um, so it's very much cello and also we would, we would always listen to music in the car. So I was obsessed with the Beatles and the Beach Boys. Um, and then as I got a little older, sort of approaching teenager, mm -hmm. I got into bands yeah. and that's all I wanted to do. <laughs> I found the guitar and all I wanted to do was write songs right. and perform. Um, and the cello sort of <laughs> went that way and the kind of performing thing came into the forefront. And then I guess around 13, 14, they mixed mm. and the band kind of wasn't enough. Right. I wanted other things. I wanted horns. I wanted strings. I wanted other stuff. Right. So with the, I would start doing arrangements um, with the band and then mm. the band grew and got bigger. And so, yeah, it evolved that way. And so what led to the journey here to Los Angeles? What, what, what was that gap between you? Okay, I'm here in England. I need to go there. Is that, is, the thought process I need to go there to when did I guess film music or did that push you here film music or was it something else uh it was film music yeah I mean from a, from that age I was always listening to film music you know the, the obvious ones right. like John Williams and Hans and Jerry Goldsmith <laughs> and Alan Silvestri and all those guys yeah um but actually I was at school with Rupert Grayson Williams's daughter oh. stepdaughter Sadie and as I started getting more involved in wanting to go down the path of writing orchestral music, um, you know, I didn't realize her stepdad was Rupert. Right. Um, <laughs> and it was her 15th or 16th birthday. And Rupert was there. So, of course, I was a bit starstruck. Yeah. Um, but somehow we ended up coming to the agreement that I could go down to his studio and hang out with him. And that was a continuous thing. Um, so I think I was around 16, 17, and Rupert uh, said to me, he was like, well, Harry is coming over from LA, he's mm -hmm. doing Shrek, um, you should go check out the session. Wow. So I did, <laughs> um, and my dad was playing on it, 
my oh, dad is a session yeah. musician in London. So after the quartet, he went into that. Um, and I was just completely blown away. Wow. Um, and it was just like, it was a spark. I have to, I have to do this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, after that, I kept, I kept in contact with Rupert and I would continually go down there and hang out and he would he'd be working on loads of different things obviously and he at the time I think he was smoking and he'd get up to have a cigarette yeah. or go get a coffee or something and he'd say to me you know save as right. and uh, just play around <laughs> so I did so I was you know 15 16 I was learning programming and music to picture wow. and then eventually I went to the Academy the Royal Academy of Music um, all the time still in contact with Rupert and would send him stuff and so he was a big mentor in my life. And then uh, eventually when I finished the academy, the idea was to work for him. Right. Um, but nothing was... He didn't have any opportunities for me at that mm -hmm. point. So he he said, you know, get yourself out to LA. I'll put in a good word for you. So that was that, really. I uh, got some money together for the ticket and <laughs> got out and Just... met Hans, met Steve. And I was hanging around for a long time. Um, and actually, Emlyn, one of the violinists from London, the London Session Orchestra, mm -hmm. um, was coming out to meet with John Powell because uh -huh. they went to college together. Um, and I got invited to the dinner, and John and I got talking. And uh, yeah, uh, Thanksgiving, he said, Come over Thanksgiving, everyone's leaving, and I need this movie to get done, which was How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> and he said, We'll do like a three day trial thing. Yeah. And I just stayed. It was great. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and that, that's that. I guess that's the start. I don't even know if that's what you were asking, <laughs> that but that's that's that's, 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 that's what happened. So, and you started working, you know, with John, but also you start build relationships, you know, with Hans and, and Henry too, especially. And you did take that path that John took and Henry took, kind of under Hans and everything. Mm -hmm. Is and that kind of mentor apprentice kind of uh, role is that something that you would recommend is the way to learn but is that ideally how you think it should be done to learn the, the business i mean i mean i was extremely lucky mm -hmm. um ideally that would is the, the perfect way and i still have to pinch myself now right. that i'm sitting here in my own studio at remote control and i'm doing projects by myself right after not that much time so ideally that is the way to go yeah just you know get given a gig and not have to do any run runner things or tech things or but I think the reality is a lot of people have to work their way up. Right. I was just very lucky that I knew the right people. And then once I was put in the situation, I didn't mess it up. Right. Um, so would you say that you need, uh, I always hear that you need either, well, I always think that you need people like, oh, you have to be lucky to get to, to make it in this business, or you have to be talented to make it in this business. I think you have to have a little it's bit both. of both. It's definitely um, both. And it has to strike at the right time to have that luck and talent. Definitely. Because so. you can have all the talent in the world and, you know, yeah. not have the right opportunities and right. you'll be struggling. And there are plenty of people who do. Right. Um, but going back to the question, uh, this place is the best college you could ever hope for. I mean, you'd learn more in a day around this place than you would in two, three years of college. Right. It's incredible. I mean, the great thing now is that they're allowing the runners to sit in and watch the composers and there's okay. an interaction before it was just getting food and, you know, right. just being available. But now they're actually encouraging the learning process, which is awesome. And uh, as you as a composer and all the other composers who sit around here, because this environment, you know, is this like house of people working on different projects and everything. Are you able to just pop into, you know, whatever, 
Lauren's room or whatever and be like, hey, let me listen to what you're doing. Or, All the time. And that's, I mean, that must be great to see what he's doing on a project that you're not working on and kind of see, what, oh, let me try what he's doing here. And is it kind of that kind of a cross-pollination of not just like sounds of the thing, but like the style of approach and... Yeah, I mean, things. we don't go around nicking other people's stuff, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, we're always popping in on each other. Yeah. You know, Matt Morrison and I are always oh, visiting right, right, each other. Yeah. Um, and I have a really close relationship with Al Clay. Yeah. Um, you know, even when he's not mixing my stuff or producing Kung Fu Panda or whatever he's doing, right. you know, he's always doing something really cool in there. And we're very close, so, you know, we pop in. And it's really great. You know, it's very, it's nice to, because it's such a solo thing to yeah. be in this room with no windows and no doors I don't know when it's sun or dark exactly or <laughs> um so it's nice just to be able to pop out and go oh i'll go and see matt or i'll go and see al or i'll you know go pop in on henry or right. whatever it's really really great and it does help creatively oh, it sure. does it sparks you know get where you hit a writer's block or something you yeah just go walk how out. did you do that <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh talk jump into um man of the high castle which is a new series on Amazon Prime, which is, uh, I want to talk about, you know, that kind of digital space later, but um, how, I know this, I heard about this series, like, I feel like it was been a year or two ago, the pilot kind of surfaced, and then mm -hmm. they did it what, put on the back burner or something, and then now they're coming out uh, on the 20th of this month, they're releasing yeah. all the episodes. Yes. Because didn't Henry or somebody do the pilot, or was it you? We did it together. We did, okay, that's yeah, right. we yeah, did it together. Um, and I think even before that, it was pitched to BBC and someone else. Okay. But it never really happened. Right. Amazon said, yes, please. <laughs> and um, so the way that came about, I, I was eating lunch in the cafeteria in the other building over there. Uh -huh. um, and Henry just came and sat down next to me and said, I've got this thing. Um, you know, I, d I don't think I can do it by myself. I'm, I'm really busy, but I need some help. I don't know if they're even, you know how Henry is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they're going to go for it. And, you know, I'll say that it was a co-write thing. And it was just like, but the gist was that, would you help me? It would be a co-credit and all that right. kind of thing. And I was, he told me it was Scott Free and Amazon and the subject material. And it was a Philip K. Dick book. Right, of course. The novel. So, of course, I was like, yes, I'll do it. Definitely. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, we did the pilot about this time last year, actually. Okay, so a year ago. Um, and the way Amazon's working now is they release their pilots and they see yeah, like who's liking, season, who's not right? liking, yeah. so and whichever does the best they pick up. So we heard around late January, February, that they were going to make it. Mm -hmm. And uh, they asked, the Scott Free and Amazon asked us to do it. And we said, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's a such an interesting story because it's an alternate history. Uh, what if the Germans or what the Nazis won mm -hmm. World War II and, yeah. and occupied, you know, America and all that stuff. So when you started to approach this, I mean, what was your approach? What, was it looking at it as it, oh, it's, a, you know, taking it, it's in the 50s or 60s or did that dictate the sound of the music that you were going to approach? Or what was kind of the, the kind of hook to you to say, OK, I know what direction to go in for this? It was a tricky one, yeah. and it was a conversation that, excuse me, <coughs> it was a conversation that carried on throughout the whole process. Right. You know, what would the music be? In a completely different yeah. history, what would it be? <laughs> and that sort of switched, the focus for that switched to the source material. Right. And the score kind of just became the sound of the, of the show. Um, so were you, would you get to create a sound for the show that yeah, we get, create but, your own history that wasn't there before, in a sense? It or? wasn't, I mean, I'd like to say it was that involved, yeah. but it, it, I don't think the show needed that. Yeah. Um, 
the main emphasis of it is, especially with the pilot, is we wanted to keep it very intimate and small, and and I think we ma we managed that. But then when episode two came around, it was like, wow, this is this has got big and epic. Yeah. And I didn't want to go down the huge route, but I right. had to expand a little bit and get a little yeah. bigger because we we were adamant that it had to be very character based and very small you know and henry and i played henry played a lot of piano on the pilot mm -hmm. i played a lot of cello um and there were lots of small kind of mysterious magical bells mm -hmm. and that would be offset with the odd crazy sounds yeah not crazy crazy but but, <laughs> but synth sounds right um and a lot as we moved through the show that was the way we would come up with that was we take an organic element say we use a lot of struck time stuff okay. um and then i would pull stretch it to make it into pads and and more sound designy things to sort of set the score a little to it to be a bit weird yeah. and creepy right and there's a lot of that stuff um and especially after the pilot with the main titles being edelweiss and that kind of weird creepy version of edelweiss mm -hmm. I sort of nicknamed that feeling the Edelweiss method. So with a lot of a lot of the themes that come a bit later in the show, there is that like major theme, mm -hmm. major being you know what we would normally think is happy turnout tonality, right. as opposed to minor that we think is sad. Right. Um, so we would I'd take the major aspect of the melody and offset it with whether it was you know low cellos or something dark underneath and you sort of get that weird creepy i don't really know where i am with this right. it feels safe but it isn't safe yeah um and there's a lot of that in the show with all the different characters you never really know where you are right so with the show being so awesome and it kind of told us what to do Rather than having to find it, it you know it came pretty naturally. Right. So um, it wasn't it wasn't too much of experimentation or questioning or I mean was there a lot did you have to kind of try things out and see what stuck or did you? Of course, but we had our we had our tent poles. We had our cello and our piano right. and our clarinet and because we wanted that organic element and that western element mm -hmm. and then the other things around it would offset it and put it in the different world. Okay. Um, so having those there initially from the pilot was great, and then it just sort of expanded, whether it was in size, so it would be a cello section, or, you know, woodwinds. Um, yeah, it was really, really fun the way it evolved over the season, because it would get bigger and bigger, and then it would get smaller for an episode, and then you have to go big, and it's, it was really great. And every week was different, and it wasn't like... With TVs, a lot of the time, you have to do the same thing over and over right, again. Right. Um, because that's just the way the show works. It's right. a, that's the layout of the show. But with this, every every week is different. Um, it's like a big movie. And yeah, well, how many episodes is it? It's like it's ten. Ten, so because including the pilot, including the pilot. That's and that's kind of the model that's kind of going. You know, we have you know, network shows, broadcast shows that are twenty-two episodes, whatever per mm -hmm. season. And then a lot of the the cable networks and of course the digital streaming places. You know, are the smaller, more condensed seasons, which I think work so much better because they're more focused. Nothing is filler and so if it was only ten episodes, did you were did you kind of did they give you kind of the story arc for the entire ten episodes off the bat, or were you just kind of scoring episode by episode as they gave it to you? I got the script well, well in advance, mm -hmm. which is really cool actually. And so were you able to like kind of sketch something that was 
Did you did you do look at it as one big? Okay, I'm sketching. I'm, is this episode eight's going to come in, and the, or were you just kind of taking it one at a time? I took it one at a time, mm-hmm. but with the knowledge of what's happening down the line, because I had been given the scripts. Right. Um, and they're really awesome. You know, when you read something, and a lot of the, most of the time it appears that they make a a movie of a book or that you know they adapt something. Yeah. And you kind of go, hmm. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but I read the scripts, and then I would get picture, and I would watch it and go, how are you in my head? <laughs> it, it, I mean, from script to actually being a thing, right. it was amazing. It was so close to the script, and it blew me away every time I watch a new episode, because that's exactly how I thought it would be. <laughs> um, so that was great, because obviously after reading a script, I right. would think of, okay, what does this, what needs to happen musically? Um, and are you thinking about that when you read the script? Yeah, like, oh, so sure. That's already popping in your head. Yeah. Oh, this is an opportunity here or something. For sure. Before they shoot it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it, the whole process was very much like a movie. Yeah. You know, I've worked on a few TV things now, and right, right. it's very, okay, it's the same thing, but it needs to be different because it's the same layout. Um, but this was just like a big movie. Which is great. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I can't wait to. It's, it's one of the movies coming out on the twentieth, and they're releasing all the episodes at once. Mm-hmm. So one and two is online right now. Right. That's right. If you have Prime. If you have Prime, which I do. Um, <laughs> but actually, it was the whole way it was conceived. So I was told, um, was around this whole binge, right? Watching culture that we now live in. Um, so it was quite important to think about that when writing music as well because obviously you don't want to you don't want too much repetition because although it's the next episode and within you know another show perhaps you have to wait a week to hear it right you don't people are just going to click next <laughs> so you know you can't have too many themes banging into each other right, right. from episode to episode so that was again like a movie right so talking about binge watching and that is kind of the thing like Netflix and Amazon and they kind of HBO still does it week to week. You know, they air their episodes every every week. But what I mean, what do you prefer? And you t- you just said you you kind of took that into consideration when people are binge watching. But and what do you feel that does I mean, for a viewer? Do you like binge watching? Do you like powering through everything, or would you rather pace yourself and then maybe talk with your your you know your friends like, oh, did you watch it this week? And like, oh, no, psh, I already watched everything. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, it's spoiler culture and everything that's going on. Do you think binge watching is good, or do you think it's like kind of you're not you're, you're chowing down your food, not enjoying the meal. You know what do you think? <laughs> I think there's a place for both, uh-huh. for sure. And there's something. I mean, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan, right? Um, and oftentimes I'll intentionally miss a week <laughs> and record it, so I get that next bit. Yeah. So I th- I'm inherently gearing towards binge watching, I guess. <laughs> um, Build up a queue for yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I can't lie, I love binge watching. <laughs> I mean, I've the amount of times I've gone to bed with the laptop open and started a series, and then it's six o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and you got a meeting with you know, whether it's Hans or Jeffrey Katzenberg or something really important, and you're like, why did I do that? <laughs> but again, it's exciting. Well, I like we'll, it. What we'll have been your <coughs> favorite shows to binge watch? Oh. um... I've binged watched Orange is the New Black. Yeah. Um, actually, I was fortunate enough to kind of miss the second season of Game of Thrones and just plow through I it, went through. which was awesome. <laughs> um, 
What else? Loads of Netflix stuff. A lot of British shows. That's right. That's uh, right. Uh, on Netflix. Yeah. Luther, which I love. If right. you haven't seen, you have to watch Luther. Oh, yeah, Luther's great. Oh, you have seen it? Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Um, and Waking the Dead, which is another English show. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cold case thing. Okay, cool. I went through a, a phase of binge watching um, Law and Order, SVU, mm-hmm. and then I found myself getting really depressed <laughs> with all the crimes. So it made me something a bit cheerier. Um, but now TV for me, because I'm working so much, it has to like engage me or I'm gone. Right. And that's the and that's the culture I think we live in now. I mean, it's everything has to hook you right off the bat. Or it doesn't stick, and I mean, and I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing because certain shows now. I mean, uh, talking about your personal experience with the player just now, it it got canceled. Which, yeah. You know, the, after how many episodes was it? Nine. Nine. So I mean, yeah. it got good. Some some shows are after two or three episodes, they don't even let it breathe now. But I think TV is starting to embrace that people are discovering it later on and not week to week when it premieres. But I mean. Do you think it stuff needs to be allowed room to breathe and grow, or I mean, do you have to nail it right off the bat? I mean, creatively, it's tough. Like, I think I, I think whether we agree with it or not, I think you have to nail it right off the bat because right. there's so much competition, there's so much stuff out there. Um, you know, the player came up against a number of different uh, obstacles. You know, they had it was Thursday night football night. Yeah. It was at that ten o'clock slot, which is not great and hasn't been great for a long time right so they were already on the back foot um so and it's not you know it got a bit of a bad rep with the rotten tomatoes and that's another thing we have to take into account you know anyone can right uh review something no either you don't have to be an actual you can be a guy in your room reviewing stuff yeah and this guy well (laughs) that's unfair on you you're a very talented reviewer um (laughs) But, you know, any little kid can review something and it has an effect on how the movie does, which right. is kind of crazy. Um, what do you think that says about people? Are they, do you think people are just, they'll look at something and make a decision based on what someone else does? Like, I don't. I, I don't know whether I should comment on that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, looking at other movies and stuff, you look at something like The Lone Ranger, which I love that movie. Right. I love Westerns. The movie got 30%, 20% bombed. Like, you know, cost Disney $250 million. You're never going to make another Western again. But it's like, every time I ask someone, I'm like, hey, did you see the movie? They go, no. Yeah, like, I know. Why don't you go see it and form your own opinion? Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I really do. And you know, Freebirds, my first movie, Right. it's not. It's a cute little movie. It's not going to change the world. Right. But it totally got out of hand with the whole vegan message which it wasn't it wasn't a thing at all it got an 18 percent on rotten tomatoes yeah and now things just come out now it's gone on netflix this guy i can't remember his name now it's, i've forgotten it but he just did kind of another review saying listen guys this is actually quite a cute movie yeah. it's on netflix you should watch it it's thanksgiving it's not that bad yeah <laughs> so yeah. maybe all but those movies think, will get justice and, at one point that's what I'm, if we used to look at Netflix and Amazon and what they're doing in something like Man with the High Castle or not everyone's going to watch it on the day they release the episodes I feel like and that's perfect because people will discover it later on and the ratings week to week are not going to be the defining factor of whether right. the show survives or not so I think that digital platform is good for uh, stuff like this where it's like yeah. really creatively rich and Maybe it's for a special audience or something, but people will find it kind of on their own instead of being 
forced. Yeah, and I agree with you. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about um, your, I guess, your work habits. Are you a night owl? <laughs> Do you like to work in small pockets of time? Like when I talk to other composers, it's just funny how some people are like, oh yeah, I like to work through the middle of the night and go home in the morning or do you like to have your nights and but you're also a father now which i'm a dad so it makes dad. it very difficult to have any yeah. sort of schedule <laughs> so how does that work well, you're, you're balancing family life and work life which i've talked to and composers i feel like I have the hardest time with yeah that. it's rough it's so i mean difficult. if you if you're asking me how i balance that <laughs> over the last six months i'd say i didn't <laughs> And uh, it's been really, really tough. The last six months has been really tough because yeah. I was doing 18, 19 hour days because right. the turnaround's so quick and all these things. Um, and then you go home and it's four in the morning and you have a screaming child <laughs> and you don't sleep. Um, but when it's my choice and I have control over it, right. I, I like early mornings. I didn't used to be that way. Yeah. When I first started with Zim, I, would, I, I wouldn't leave. I'd kind of sleep from five to one on on that couch and it was in a different room um and just get up and work into the night again because right. it you know i was younger and no responsibilities and that's just the way it, my brain would work and right. I'd, I'd become awake then but now early mornings helps and it also i'm fortunate enough to live pretty close to the studio so i get that's to go fun. home and spend time with the family and that i tend to be most creative early morning and it was actually it was the same on Freebirds before the little one came along. Yeah, I would get up. I was doing that at John's, so I get the nice drive up to the top of John's I know place. That winding road, my God. And I had a window, <laughs> so yeah, I was looking out over in uh, Santa Monica Beach and the amazing views from up there. So it was nice to be up in the morning so I could see it all. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I just lost my train of thought. Let's see. <clears throat> so. Beyond beyond uh, uh, scoring, and you, know, you have your family, and you're a dad now, and that's probably taking up most of your uh, uh, time. But what other hobbies, things you do outside of this room that whether creative refresh you? I know you're a huge sports fan. I'm a big sports a fan, sports specifically fan. <laughs> uh, basketball and the Clippers. Right. And uh, my wife always tells me she created a monster. <laughs> she took me for my birthday, she, uh, however many years ago it was, she took me to a Clippers game. And I was sold. Now I'm a season ticket holder. I have like 10 jerseys. I'm super obsessive and annoying to most people who I watch the game with. Um, but I like to play as well. I try and play every Tuesday night and every wow. Sunday morning. Um, you guys have like a league going? Like no, it's just pick up stuff. Yeah. I'm not very, I'm English. I'm not very good. <laughs> so it's nice, it's you nice to be. Not with your hands. <laughs> right. it's, uh, it's not a bad standard and I've got a lot better. Yeah. Cool. But I started playing kind of around the Freebirds time because John's got a, a net on his tennis court. Up I know, yeah, yeah. So just to, you know, if I needed a break, I'd go out there and just shoot. Okay. And then I got really into it, and now I've got the whole get up with the, the long sock things <laughs> and the LeBrons and all the jerseys and headbands stuff. No, and I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> not quite with the headband yet, but maybe my hair is thinning, so I'll probably get the headband going soon. <laughs> so. Another kind of hypothetical question: If you could be any other role on a film besides the composer, what would you like to do or attempt to do? I kind of would want to be an actor. I think an actor. Mm -hmm. Have you acted before? Yeah, I did a lot at school. Um, my sister's an actress, mm -hmm. and there was a brief point 
when I didn't think I was going to get into the Royal Academy, mm-hmm. that I was entertaining the thought of going to drama school. Um, so it would have to be actor. I've wow. always been a bit of an attention seeker. <laughs> <laughs> this is your friend right here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I really enjoy it. And it, that I think that's why I love performing and yeah. why I miss performing because I used to do a lot of, you know, you band, as we talked about earlier, band. and so I did, yeah. yeah. So you are you trying to get back into that more now, a little bit more on the performing side? Uh, uh, I I'm always trying to when, you when I have time. Yeah. I'm always trying to do that. Yeah. I think the reason the EP came about is because I didn't have any work. <laughs> so I was like, well, I get very itchy fingers when I right. I don't work. I can holiday for about two weeks, and then my wife will be like, "What's wrong with you? Go play something," <laughs> so, and then I'm fine. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the performing and the acting thing is linked because yeah. I'd, I'd love weirdly love being on stage and playing to lots of people and well, that's kind of <laughs> narcissistic isn't it but um i think we've all got a little bit of narcissist in us um yeah i love it i absolutely and i really really miss it and sometimes i get a chance to do we have a friend um who's a kcrw dj called the leader mm-hmm. and she does a night at the uh, one of the hotels in hollywood it's completely gone from my brain standard um she does desert nights there where she sets up a really cool atmosphere and it's mainly acoustic stuff so i've done that a few times and uh d clay who's al clay's wife we sometimes do duet stuff together so i'd love to do that more i'd love to do a show of the ep at some point maybe in the new year there's nothing lined up quite yet for me to be in this room working (laughs) so yeah i do miss it (laughs) So uh, let's uh, before we kind of wrap up, let's I'd love to talk a little bit about kind of you know a lot of composers are getting into the business and when you get started, I feel like you're in this position where you have to kind of uh, I mean how do you get your voice heard? How do you make your mark? You know make your it, what is the you know Dom Lewis sound? I mean you're working under all these big composers Henry Hans John, which I'm sure you end up kind of you know, have a little John Powell in your fingers because you're working on their scores, but when it comes time to build your own image and your own sound, is it hard to kind of get under, away from the shadow of those guys and kind of be like, I am Dom, hear me roar, right. you know? Yeah. Sort of thing. Is, that a, is that something you, you work on as a composer to establish your own sound, or are you really are just trying to do what you're told, make sure the directors and the producers are happy? Like, how do you kind of find that balance? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I'd like to think that I do have my own sound, yeah, of but course you do, the, yeah. I think that comes from being around so many of these amazing people right. that it's one sort of trying to be like them and not being able to, Yeah. as well as, you know, the big classical composers as well, trying to, st- John's always said the same thing. The reason he has a sound is because he's trying to sound like Debussy and Strauss and all these yeah. people, but he says, I don't quite get there, but yeah. that's my sound. <laughs> um, so I think there's a lot of that in me too. Um, but also you have to serve the picture. So there's always that to take into account. But I'm just trying to, I think if you do what comes naturally and what you like and, and you get inspiration from what you listen to and all that kind of stuff, it just happens. Because I've now I've done a few things. I find myself going to those places, mm-hmm. which I remember doing before. Right. And I go, that sounds like me. <laughs> so I continue to do that. Right. Um, and not copying stuff I've done before, but having the same feel. Right. Um, 
So I don't know if that answers the question, uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, tr it's really it tricky. Is, and yeah. I think it's even trickier with electronic music. True, because everyone has this kind of similar tools. Right. And, and there's so many things out there right. now. Um, and being new and cool and fresh and always being the next thing is... It's just going so fast. The next right. thing is always there already. And there, someone wants the next thing. Right. Yeah. So it's really, really tricky. Because um, we're. T I was talking about that with Enon a little bit last night. How, uh, and not so much in the movie business, but in the game business. I mean, you're not in the game business, but a lot of composers. There's like a kind of a lack of continuity in, in franchises there, where a composer will do some iconic work, and then they need something fresh or new, so they can you know, toss them aside and try to find. So you're always the composer of life to be like, oh, am I fresh? Am I new? Is it? I mean, yeah. is, is it kind of like a identity crisis for you? Are you? Are you? Have you been? Or are you kind of try to reinvent yourself? Do you have to reinvent yourself to kind of see what is popular? I mean, I think maybe I might. I'm so young in this yeah. business that it's. I'm not there yet. I don't right. think. I'm just trying to come up with cool stuff that I like and trying to get the other people to yes. like it. So it stays in the film and I don't get fired. <laughs> but um, it's really, really tricky. Yeah. Um, but I think... I think you've succeeded, though. I well, do thank think you. Succeeded thank you. Yeah, Freebirds and Spooks especially, which I know a lot of people in America haven't experienced, but it's... It's got a, a release date, I think. Not a date, well, but I'm it's they're getting... They're releasing it as MI5 here now. Yes. Yes, I saw the poster. Yes. Yeah, so it's coming. So you're going to get to see it. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but I think story. that's a, a, an important thing for me is to do not just one genre. Right. So I'm so. constantly getting inspired by different things, which then eventually is going to help me reach the goal of being... People go, oh, that sounds just like Dom Lewis, in the right. same way that you hear three notes from Tom Newman and you go, okay, it's a Tom right. Newman score. Yeah. You know, having that amount of identity, because for some composers, you have to listen to more than three seconds to get who it is but with someone like Tom it's like yeah wow it's so distinctive and with Hans you know yeah Hans John I mean, yeah it's and to get that's where we all, we all want to get right to be I guess an auteur of your craft right yeah and establish your sound and, and I, I mean I hope I hope voice. I have that in me I think I'm getting there uh -huh. I can, I'm definitely you know when I'm writing new stuff, I find myself recognizing it from past things and, you know, that kind of style. So I don't think I'm quite there yet. But well, it's, that's not that I'm not writing good music, music yeah. cause I, you know, if I don't think that, then what's the point? Right. But other people don't have to think that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are writing good music. And, Thank you. Uh, I've been, I'm enjoying the ride, along with your ride going in your career as a listener. So it's been an awesome encounter. Thank you. And thank you for your support as well. Of You've course. been great. I can't wait to dive into Man of the High Castle. It's amazing. It really is amazing. I'm very, very proud of it. And not just of the music, of the whole right. show. It's I mean, just it a really great. classy outfit. It's been... I miss it, actually. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot, a lot of work, but I miss it. Well, hopefully season two will be... Fingers crossed. Coming, coming down the line. <laughs> yeah, I hope <laughs> well, so. Well, Dom, thank you so much. Uh, you know, some other questions, but we'll definitely have to do this again sometime. Definitely. And thank you so much for coming down. Yeah. It's been really fun. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks.